Welcome to a Why Is This News edition of the Hangout in the Holy Land, the official podcast of LandGrantHolyLand.com, your SB Nation blog covering all things Ohio State Athletics 24-7, 365. My name is Matt Tamanini. I'm one of the co-managing editors for the site, and I'm joined, as always, by one of our Land Grant contributors and editor emeritus, the lovely Buckeye herself, Bleeding Green Nation's Alexis Chasen. Alexis, have you recovered from Saturday night's thriller yet? No, I still can't <laughs> breathe. <laughs> I, I can send you a, like I can send you one of my inhalers if you want it. Yeah, that would be great because, like, why do we have to wait until the very last second to know if we're going to win? I just, I'm over it. <laughs> well, yeah, but, like, you can't have it both ways. Like, a lot of fans complain about the fact that so many of Ohio State games are over by halftime. So, like, you have to either appreciate the blowout and not worry about it or appreciate the thriller and, you know, be okay with the high blood pressure you're going to deal with. Well, and I think it definitely goes along with what we were talking about last week about you know Penn State being more of a rivalry lately and things like that this year definitely continued that trajectory I have a feeling yeah we, we mentioned the fact that uh, you know in my prediction uh, I said things just always go weird with Penn State like something funky always happens and I feel like that definitely happened on Saturday but another team where something always goes weird is Indiana so we're going to get into the Indiana game, and we're going to go through all of the biggest news that has come out for Ohio State over the past seven days. I'm going to be honest with you, there's not a ton. It was kind of a quiet week, I felt like. And I think a lot of that was still people dealing with the hangover of the Penn State game. But for the first time in a while, I feel like Urban Meyer's Monday press conference had a lot of really interesting stuff, Alexis. He talked about the need for the defense to cut down on allowing big plays. He talked about the fact that even though the team is 5-0, and there is still a long way to go till they reach their ceiling. And when asked about how he felt personally about not having a running quarterback to rely on in close situations, Urban gave kind of a fun answer. But we're going to talk about those things. But I want to start with the fact that about an hour before the game, the Ohio State um, Athletic Department circulates the previous games, champions of the game and player of the game. Now, champions of the game are people who rate, oh, I believe it's at an 80, is it at an 80 or 90% um, rate by their position coaches? And then the player of the game is the player that they select that had the best game. Generally, lots of folks on there, almost the entire uh, offensive line, a bunch of the linebackers were on there this week, surprisingly enough. But the thing that jumped out to me, I know, right? Uh, The thing that jumped out to me, Alexis, was that the offensive player of the game was Terry McLaurin. Now, let me read you Terry's offensive stat line from Penn State. That was it. He had no stat line. He did not have a catch. (laughs) He He did not have a single yard from scrimmage. What he did have, though, was a crap ton of huge blocks on pretty much every single big play that Ohio State made downfield. You can see Terry McLaurin making several blocks, and I think it was on the K.J. Hill touchdown. You can actually see him blocking three Penn State defenders at once. You saw him often run downfield, make a block downfield, then come back and get a crackback block against a player coming from the other direction. Terry McLaurin exemplifies what Urban Meyer wants in a wide receiver. Yes, you want them to be able to have great hands and to make plays, but to get to that point, Urban Meyer has always said that you first got to prove yourself on special teams and you have to be willing to block on offense when you actually make it on to the field uh, for offensive snaps. 
in his press conference, Urban continued to hit on this, talked about the fact that some players like KJ Hill and Austin Mack were a little slow to do that, but they have gotten to the point now where they have bought in. Urban again referenced Evan Spencer, his kind of go-to for these things, because even though he wasn't a huge contributor in terms of stats during the national championship season, his blocks and his versatility and his willingness to do whatever it took to be successful is what Urban Meyer wants out of this team and especially his skill position players. So I thought Alexis Sissel was a really nice tip of the cap to a veteran player who maybe hasn't had the production that he would have liked as an Ohio State Buckeye, but is still contributing in major ways. And it kind of puts their metaphoric money where their mouth is when it comes to what they ask from their players. Oh, for sure. And you figure those are the type of players who really, you know, buy in with blocking they tend to be some of the more successful ones just because they're more team oriented. They're not worried about their individual stats. Like now McLaurin, you know, maybe isn't upset that he didn't have any, you know, yards or stats or catches or anything um, because what he, he did his job and he got acknowledged for it. And didn't Meyer also throw a little shade about Benjamin Victor saying that's why he didn't get much playing time is because he refused to block for a while. Yeah, that's yeah. He's one of the players that uh, I mentioned. I might have said KJ Hill instead of him, but yeah, he talked about it. Took a while for some of the players that had great athleticism and great hype coming into Ohio State, but they weren't willing to do the little things that Urban Meyer expects of his of his skill position players. And clearly, I think a lot of those guys have done that and figured it out because right now they've got about. I don't know, six to eight wide receivers who could be first team number one receivers. And now they're all rotating through. And it seems to be still a pretty happy position room. Yeah, well, and that'll definitely, you know, serve them well when they make the transition to the NFL, because, you know, rookie wide receivers, not everyone comes in like Michael Thomas as, you know, the team's starter. But having the ability to block and bring versatility and other options to an offense, you can definitely find yourself a spot. And you know that that's most of their ultimate goals. Yeah, absolutely. And coming out of the week against Penn State, I think that's the type of thing that Urban Meyer is going to be looking for as the team continues to evolve moving through the season. Now, with all due respect to Indiana and Minnesota and Purdue and Nebraska, the next four games in five weeks, those are... <laughs> Those opponents aren't exactly going to strike fear in the hearts of Ohio State's players like TCU and especially Penn State did. So I would imagine the goal is going to be for the players to get better and to challenge themselves on doing those little things before they play a Michigan State team on the 10th of November. Urban Meyer said, quote, we're just coaching our tails off to get players better. He said that there is still a huge room for improvement. They are 5-0, and but they still have a ways to get to their ceiling. And one of the things that he pointed out that is not where it should be. He said, quote, you have to play better. We've had some new players, but it's week six. You can't just give up those big plays. Again, talking about the fact that Ohio State was gashed on multiple occasions by big chunk plays, especially by Trace McSorley, who pretty much was the entire offense for Penn State. There were only three successful rushes for the Nittany Lions against the Buckeye defense that did not come from Trace McSorley, and those were Miles Sanders. He, again, for the third year in a row, the main running back for Penn State was shut down by the Buckeye defense. But in this case, (laughs) Trace McSorley decided he was just going to put the entire team on his back and account for like 420-something of their 461 yards, either on the ground or through the air. That is something that Greg ran, If he ran up the middle one more time, my head was going to pop off my body. 
I'm I'm glad that didn't happen. Um, yeah, me too. That, I'm that just saying, like, ugly. how many times does it have to to happen before you stop him? <laughs> well, there was a really good article from SBNation.com, uh, and I'm trying to pull it up here, um, that talked about the fact that Greg Schiano's defense, which is very much predicated on uh, pressure and, and being aggressive, has not performed very well this year. Traditionally, especially during the Jim Trestle era and in the first few years of Urban Meyer's reign in Columbus, the defense was more predicated on a zone look. And the transition to be more fully invested into Shiano's traditional approach it's not working this year, and perhaps that's part of, partly because they don't have the same level of talent on the back half of the defense. Obviously, the front line is incredible, but you know, at the linebacker core and the, the DBs, perhaps it's because there's so many young players and they still have to grow in it. But um, we'll put a link to that SB Nation article in our um, in the Land Grant article about this podcast, so you can take a look at it. But it's, it's really interesting to kind of see that breakdown from an X's and O's standpoint. But that is something that's going to have to be remedied. I wrote a little bit about it in an article on Wednesday, because if Ohio State is going to get to where they think they should be, and they are now projected to play Alabama in the college football playoff finals, both by ESPN's ranking, by S&P+, by all the betting odds, they're going to have to play against Tua Tungavailoa, who might not be the runner that Trace McSorley is, but he's a 20 times better passer, so he can do it all. They're going to have to deal with running quarterbacks if they want to get as far as they can go. So hopefully that is something that Urban Meyer and Greg Schiano at all are working on during this month of kind of down competition. Yeah, and I think you said it perfectly. You know, I mean, I with all the turnover the last few years, like it was great. We recruited really well and Every year we were having a new starter and then that starter would be NFL caliber. So they would leave. And I mean, you can recruit as well as anybody in the country, but eventually that's going to start showing in your production and whether Shiano needs to make some shifts in the scheme to better support the players he has, or if those players, like you said, are just young and need to be better developed into the scheme. You know, I don't know what the answer to that is, but they need to figure it out. Yeah, definitely. I mean, there comes a point where recruiting only gets you so far. Recruiting is the biggest and most important thing to having a good team in college football. But the difference between two good teams that recruit well is how those players can be developed. And it feels like there's still quite a ways that this coaching staff, especially on the defense, can develop those players before the stretch run in November. Now, one of the things that goes hand in hand with that development is the new players that come in that are highly touted. And earlier this week, Chad Peltier uh, did an update on the red shirt tracker because of the new red shirt rule that came into play this season where players could play up to four games and still maintain their red shirt. We've got it all broken down based off of how many games they've played, if they're still red shirt eligible, all of that kind of stuff. There are only three freshmen who have already played in five games, thus burning their red shirt opportunities. That is Tyreek Smith. Kevon Pope and Cameron Brown. There are another, another four who have already played four games, so a single other snap this season, and their red shirts will be burnt. I think it's probably pretty safe to say those will be gone on Saturday. That's Jeremy Ruckert, Tommy Togiai, Tyler Friday, and Chris Olave. Then there are a handful of freshmen that haven't played at all, and then a number that are in the middle that may or may not see their red shirts burnt. I think that's something, Alexis, that is really interesting to see what happens moving forward and to see um, how those players end up getting on the field and if they do and, you know, how they how they end up playing, because there could be a time where maybe somebody who Urban was planning on redshirting 
needs to get onto the field late in the season because of an injury or something else happening. Yeah, I really do love the new redshirt rule and the potential that it has to really give some of the young guys, you know, that in-game experience that there really is no alternative to. I mean, you know, practice is great, but there's nothing like going up against an opponent on game day in front of, you know, 100,000 people. So I think that sort of experience is invaluable but they do have to make sure that they're, I'm sure they are, but, you know, keeping track of everything and really making smart decisions with who they end up, you know, putting in for garbage time and things like that over the next four games. And by the way, you did an amazing job with all those names. <laughs> well, I listen to a lot of Buckeye podcasts, so I, I've heard <laughs> all the names from the beat reporters many, many times. But um, yeah, unfortunately, Ohio State hasn't had the situation this year that we've seen from a lot of other major programs where players have realized they aren't going to be starting and they transfer out before they've played in five games. Happened recently at Clemson. Uh, you know, I think a lot of that has to come down to especially, especially now as people are getting used to how this rule works, it's incumbent on the coaches of whatever team, Ohio State or whomever, to really communicate a player's position, I have zero problem with players leaving and, and doing what's best for them. But I also have zero problems in the coaches playing the players that are there in the best way to benefit their team while they are members of the team. So I think as long as the players and the coaches have open lines of communication, as schools and players get used to this new rule, it's going to end up being a positive. But there are some growing pains around the country that fortunately knock on wood, Ohio State hasn't had to deal with yet. But some things that Ohio State has had to deal with lately, Alexis, are some injuries. Nothing, you know, super damaging other than Nick Bosa's injury. But there are some folks that are either on the mend or maybe should be held out a little bit long. Why don't you tell us about what's going on with that? Yeah, Meyer earlier this week said that uh, Draymond Jones and Damon Arnett are both probable for Indiana. And even though they weren't really themselves against Penn State. Um, Mike Weber and Robert Lander should almost be back to normal this weekend. Uh, so that'll be good because you can definitely tell last weekend that, you know, Weber wasn't fully healthy in some capacity. And I feel like Draymond Jones has been, I've been just like biting my nails this season. I feel like he's been on the ground more times than I would like. Yeah, he's a guy who, now that Nick Bosa is out for the foreseeable future, you don't want to lose Draymond Jones, too. Again, as I mentioned, these next four games aren't exactly against competition that you're super worried about, but this is still the Big Ten. Ohio State did get absolutely slaughtered by Iowa last year, so anything can happen, but you definitely would like to have Draymond Jones anchoring the middle of that defensive line, especially while Nick Bosa's out. And the other one is Mike Weber. You know, I said something in the Land Grant Slack room during the two-lane game that I kind of thought he was not 100% before he got injured. So I'm, I wonder if the injury that we all saw that ended up taking him out of the game against Tulane and then carried over to Penn State is actually something that's been hampering him for a while because he did not look right. And, and really, he hasn't played tremendously well since the Oregon State game when he looked like you know, the second coming of Ezekiel Elliott. So I would have zero problem if instead of Mike Weber being probable or back to normal this weekend, they said, you know what, bro, take a seat. Uh, just wait a week, take another week off. We got this. Um, we're going to let Master Teague get some snaps this week. You get ready because I think it is still going to be very important to have both him and J.K. Domitz down the stretch. You're going to want to have both of those guys. 
Oh, for sure. And it's not just injuries either. Uh, Urban Meyer also admitted that the safety position is still concerning for them, which you alluded to earlier. Uh Um, And especially with Isaiah Pryor having to sit out the first half following that targeting call. So he said that Jocelyn went, Sean Wade and Brandon White will compete for the spot this week. Uh, So practice has been pretty important for those three guys. But I guess we'll see tomorrow who gets that. Yeah, it, a lot of people are hoping that Sean Wade gets moved to the safety position. That's such a huge major change for, to go from a corner to the nickel to probably the field side safety. Um, that's a lot of adjustments for him. So if that ends up being the case, I think a lot of people in Buckeye Island will be happy, but you can't expect it to be a, an immediate fix for all of the problems in the secondary. Oh, no, not definitely not for Ohio State. But you know what? That cross training is going to be invaluable to Wade as he, you know, gets a little older and then eventually tries to make it in the NFL. Like him being able to do all three positions will put him a whole round above where he would normally have gone, I'm sure. Yeah. Speaking of Ohio State defensive backs transition to the NFL, a former Buckeye DB had a pretty good game uh, on Sunday. Even though it was his second season, it really is his first time to have some playing uh, opportunities on the field. Yeah, Gary on Conley, first career pick six. I was so excited for him. It always really sucks when you know your entire rookie season is taken away from you due to injury in the preseason or. Uh, like with Raekwon McMillan or with Gary on Conley, where he had like the shin issue throughout the season and just couldn't make it onto the field. Um, so he had a 36 yard return for a touchdown off of his interception. And it was just a really good boost to what should be a good season for him this year. And he's also not the only Buckeye who had really good uh, weekends last weekend. Three of the NFL's top players uh, the top player in receptions, rushing yards, and rushing TDs are all guys, and it makes me very happy. So uh, Michael Thomas is leading in receptions with 42 catches. He leads the entire league and has like a million records at this point. Uh, Ezekiel Elliott is the rushing leader with 426 yards. And Carlos Hyde is actually doing really well in Cleveland despite averaging like 3.9 yards a carry. Um, he's the rushing town leader with five. So, all right, let's wrap up this uh, this episode, Alexis. We want to hit a little bit about Ohio State men's basketball. The season, believe it or not, is just a little over a month away. And this week, they had a huge commitment on Monday from four-star forward EJ Lydell. He is a, I guess... Probably a a power forward um, is probably the best way to describe him. He's 6'7", 220 pounds, comes from Belleville, Illinois. He had pretty much offers from everywhere. It came down to Ohio State, Illinois, and Missouri. Illinois and Missouri, two of the closest schools to him. But what's great about this commitment is that he is the third player in Ohio State's class. Probably that's going to be it. Don't expect any other commits uh, right now. But he is the third player in the class and the third top 50 player in the country to join the 2019 class for Chris Holtman. He follows DJ Carton, who is the uh, current 24th player in the country, and Alonzo Gaffney, who's the current 39th player in the country. That means collectively the Ohio State 2019 men's basketball recruiting class is number one in the Big Ten and fifth nationally. Like, what? Ohio State's basketball <laughs> recruiting class is fifth nationally? If you told me Ohio State football, I'd be disappointed. You tell me it's basketball, and I'm my mind is blown. Um, our own Patrick Mayhorn compared 
uh, EJ to a bigger, more athletic Jay Sean Tate. Obviously, Jay Sean Tate played way bigger than his actual size would, but he's the guy that likes to mix it up underneath. Um, he's a physical player, really, really impressive uh, guy, and a lot of upside for the kid out of Illinois. So, you know, Alexis, I know you recently did a little Q&A with Patrick's that's going to be uh, coming out sometime next week because you are not traditionally a basketball fan unless it involves Aaron Kraft. But Patrick was kind of getting you excited about the season. W- where are you on excitement level for not only this team and this recruiting class, but just Ohio State basketball in general? I am so excited, to be honest. I got increasingly excited as I talked to Patrick. Um, He gave a really good Buckeye basketball 101 lesson. We talked about all the players that are on the team, and I love that they're young and that I can really buy into somebody now and probably cheer for them for at least a couple of years. Um, And he really talked about how the 2019 recruiting class is already something to be excited about. So I'm super pumped to get back into the team because I think as a whole with Chris Holtman, um, it's something to be excited about. Yeah, absolutely. And and Patrick, not to uh, spill any tea on what he says in our Slack channel, but he actually thinks that Ohio State with this recruiting class, not this current season, but the following season and the season after, could actually be national title contenders. So we'll see what happens there. Well, good. That means when I pick Ohio State to win it all in my March Madness bracket, I won't lose (laughs) every year. (laughs) <laughs> yeah, good luck with that. Although, if yeah. we're competing against each other, go ahead. Feel free. Um, I'm a homer uh, in basketball. I can't help it. Yeah, good for you. Okay, so um, that's a few years down the road. What do we have coming up this weekend for the Buckeye uh, Athletics? Things get started Friday at 3 o'clock with the field hockey team taking on Northwestern on the road. The women's ice hockey team will face Colgate at home at 6. The women's volleyball team is on the road against Rutgers at 7 o'clock on Friday. And at the same time, the women's soccer team will compete against Michigan and Ann Arbor. And the men's soccer team will host Cleveland State. Um, Saturday, the women's ice hockey team will have their second game against Colgate at 3 p.m. The football team will kick off against Indiana at 4, duh. And then the women's volleyball team is back in Happy Valley to face Penn State for the second time in the season at 7. Very cool. So lots to do for not only the Ohio State football team, but men's and women's non-revenue sports as well. So go out and support those teams. Now, Alexis, that brings us to our predictions for this game against Indiana. I, I don't have anything to set you up with because I think your prediction this week is uh, actually fairly good because it's really close to mine. <laughs> oh, I see how it is. I finally give up on my 60 plus points and we we agree on something. So my prediction is 48 to 17. And watch, this will be the game that yeah. the Buckeyes score over 60. Yeah, um, I went with 46-13. It's kind of weird because for a few years, we got used to Indiana having a really good offense and absolutely no defense. But it's flipped this year. Their S&P Plus ranking on offense is 89th in the country, but their defensive S&P is 22. That's actually better than Ohio State's, which is at 23. But admittedly, Indiana's uh, strength of schedule is nowhere near Ohio State's. Ohio State has the best strength of record mark for anybody in ESPN's rankings. Indiana is not even ranked. So they haven't had the competition, so their stats are a little bit inflated. But if Indiana is going to be able to keep this game close, which I don't think they can... 
it's going to have to be on defense. So I don't know that Ohio State's going to put up the 60 that you normally predict and that I was hoping you were going to predict. Um, but I do think there's a, a pretty good shot that they'll keep Ohio State. Um, I do think there's a pretty good shot that they'll force Ohio State to punt a little bit more than maybe we would like uh, in a game against the Hoosiers because we shouldn't have to punt, but that's fine. At this point, bring on Drew Christen. He, you know, really proved himself last weekend to be something exciting to watch every time he's on the field. <laughs> yeah, he was the Ray Guy punter of the week for his performance at Penn State, even though another punter, I think it was Purdue's punter, won the Big Ten uh, Player of the Week. Also, randomly, look, I worked in the Big Ten office. I was involved with picking players of the week. Somehow they picked Dwayne Haskins as the as the football offensive player of the week. Look, I, we are all in on Dwayne Haskins, but there is no reasonable explanation how you can say that he had a better game than Trace McSorley. I mean, I love everybody up there in, in Chicago, but that's kind of ridiculous. Yeah, I understand the argument against, well, you know, Trace McSorley didn't win, but he was clearly the better of the two quarterbacks last Saturday. So maybe just like not give it to somebody from that game. I don't know. I love Dwayne Haskins and I would give it to him every week, but that was just a little off. The eye test wasn't quite there. No, but he, you know, Haskins actually ended up having decent stats. A lot of his passing yards were on screens, but Trace McSorley actually accounted for 950 yards, I think, in that game. So, come on now. It was Ohio State against Trace McSorley. Yes, Like, that's what it was. (laughs) Yeah, absolutely. All right, thank you for listening to this Hangout in the Holy Land. You can find all episodes of the podcast on LandGrantHolyLand.com, SoundCloud, Apple Podcasts, and wherever you get your daily dose of podcast goodness. You can follow this very show on Twitter at HolyLandPod. You can follow me on Twitter and Instagram at BWWMatt. You can follow Alexis on those same social media platforms at LovelyBuckeye. And you can follow the site at LandGrant33 on Twitter and at LandGrantHolyLand on Instagram and Facebook. It's homecoming weekend, everybody. So remember, pace yourselves and hydrate. And go Bucks. Go Bucks. <laughs>